at the end of college began what was we now call the emergent church is that now we just called it the mainline church i mean i think all right. of those guys were like i thought I yeah i thought the movie was over and it's submerged but i think it's i don't think it's yeah i think yeah, it just all put on collars they got got arm sleeve tattoos <laughs> to put on collars <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today simply to introduce a conversation between Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. This week, Matt and J.D. discuss the Bible and what it's for. They actually do a fine job of introducing the topic themselves, so let's get right to their conversation. All right. Well, we're here. Uh, Nick has just done an intro, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, he suggested that we uh, answer indirectly a listener, I guess, sticking with the family of podcast jokes now, we'll say our listener, uh, right? Since you, Which <laughs> I've given credit where credit's due. I think that's a really <laughs> funny joke, Matt. Uh, but um, when I started mocking, or it's not mocking, when I started mimicking you, which is the sincerest form of flattery, um, we had just begun this podcast, so I didn't realize that we would have a whole universe of stand yeah. firm podcasting that would overlap. But at any rate, so we're gonna we're going to uh, riff off of a listener, our listener's question, which in general was the the question of uh, the purpose and um, sort of I guess position of the Bible. Uh, which is interesting, and it's an interesting uh, idea that it's still come up these days, that the position of the Bible for the Christian with respect to teaching, preaching, proclamation, and all things, um, well, all things gospel-oriented. So here's what Nick's suggestion was. You could do something like, quote, the Gospel of John ends with the claim that the book was written so that people would come to believe in Jesus and be saved. Does that hold true for Scripture as a whole? Is the main point of the Bible that Jesus would know and trust in Jesus— or can it be a manual for Christian life, or is it both? And how does that work out in terms of ministry and preaching? Well, I think there's a lot to begin with. We might as well situate people a little bit uh, with the final statement from John, John chapter 20, where it says, the purpose of this book, I love this very helpfully um, outlined for us. Now, Jesus did many other signs, writes John, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, well, let's begin, Matt. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how <laughs> history repeats itself, and we are once again in a situation where ostensibly orthodox christian people are wondering what the purpose role function and place of the bible within christianity is so take it away yeah i mean it, it it does it does happen over and over and over again so you know probably the first time outside of the canon where we hear of a significant challenge to the scriptures is uh i guess the martian yeah uh heresy or Mar uh, martian said <clears throat> that there were two deities really uh, behind the what we now call the canon of scripture one was uh the wicked mean angry right. old testament deity who really imprisoned everybody and everything in matter as a as an act of spite i guess um and then then gave us laws and That's condemnation right. for not following the laws and then uh, then the the, or the the good god came to us in jesus 
and Jesus is all about grace and affirmation. And all this That's right. And, the, and one of the marks of the old mean, scary God was his insistence on being the only one. You know, this was a right. big problem for the world. <laughs> a, a German scholar named Jan Osman wrote a book called The Problem of Monotheism, in which he, um, I mean, it's it's not, he doesn't necessarily think it's a problem, but he says, right. you know, that it did, in fact, throw a wrench in thing that old first commandment idea really uh, put a put a <laughs> put a put a crimp in all of the other gods claims to the throne but you're exactly right that martian was was the first serious threat which is in the history of christianity when the threats arise um the church rises up however sluggardly or sluggishly however however much like a <laughs> sluggard um and eventually by the power of the spirit the the error is corrected addressed and the church is stronger on the other side but it's really the same kind of thing. I mean, I know I, I, I use neo-Martianism quite often talking about some of the more modern errors here. You know, there's, there's the monster god error that you yep. hear, which is which I think is just basic regurgitated Martianism. Monster god is is the idea that that those texts in the Old Testament where scripture, where God Yahweh is seen to tell the prophets, you know, or or Moses or Joshua, you need to go through and you know destroy this people group. And obviously, they would argue, since Jesus is who he's revealed himself to be in the New Testament, that what must be happening is that these primitive cultures, called the primitive culture of the Hebrew That's right. ancient Near East person is glomming his own primitive cultural ideals onto the divine and, right. and calling, calling the voice... Uh, that says that the judgment must be rendered by Israel and the people around them saying that that's God when it's really just Israel. That's right. Um, so, so. Well, that's Feuerbach's famous thesis, you know, that, yeah. that uh, theology is anthropology writ large, that people simply projected up into the heavens the their fears and hopes and called it God, which gets a lot of traction in, um, you know, anthropology classrooms and uh, in universities across the world, you know, because it, it allows you to write off, supposedly write off this God and then do whatever you want, um, which is yeah, the well, ultimate end of all of the speculation about God outside the bible i mean this isn't totally fair about because i mean these guys say well jesus is really god and you know he just shows us who god really is and so right. now, now, now to go back and read the old testament in light of who god is really supposed to be in christ which means god couldn't have said you know destroy the canaanites it would have had to be the israelites who thought that not god um and in fact we even had an acna a pretty prominent acna uh, <laughs> priest tweet that something very similar to that uh he got in a little trouble for that thank goodness but he did he did tweet it so so yeah i mean there's 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 that that the martian heresy where we where we take the the things our culture affirms and read those into the scriptures and take the things our culture hates and despises and try and find a way that those really aren't anything at all close to what we find revealed in scripture that goes that's just that's just a classic move it's it's how we it's how we take the bible and we, we we make it reflect make it reflect our own first and true love which is ourselves mm. um and we can we can worship ourselves through the bible by cutting out the very words of god and making it uh make it making it palatable yeah i mean this is and so you've seen i mean we we have seen this heresy uh, for lack of a better word uh rise up in every generation i think this is you know you could even look in a certain sense i think you could understand a lot of what the prophets are railing against was a similar 
um, appropriation of the revelation of God through the law and then uh, twisting it to sort of serve, you know, sort of self-aggrandizing way. I mean, you look at parts of uh, like Micah, for instance, railing against the priests, you know, about how they've, uh, they've, they clearly know what they should do, but they've allowed it to become something uh, which is just serving themselves. And, and once again, we shouldn't be surprised that as our article six says that we have begun the sufficiency of scripture has not been exhaustive with respect to every possible um, uh, permutation or idea that we could ever conceive of, but it is sufficient to allow us uh, enough to know uh, what God has said in general and how we should respond accordingly. And I think that's where we find, you know, in our current situation um, that we have just been called once again to rise up, you know, church arise at that Getty hymn in my head, you know, um, and, um, and defend once again, the faith is revealed through the scriptures for the sake, not simply of uh, dogmatic assertions for power and control, you know, as, as always the cynics would argue, but simply because as John says, um, as we wrote reference in the beginning, that these things were written, not all of the things that could have been written were, but these things were written so that you would believe in Jesus and come to know him as the Christ. And so, you know, there's a reality to, as we often say, the law and the gospel that is permeating the, the scriptures, the, the, the fact of God's wrath and his righteous indignation on sin and his mercy and his atoning sacrifice that has to be upheld, which is, uh, which, which implicates the sinner um, without exception. I mean, that's, that's the offense of the Bible is that it, it catches us in the act as, as a, a theologian once said, it is a, it uh, leaves all of us red handed. Um, and that's by design, not by accident. And it's not, and what's the sad part is in my estimation, and you can uh, speak to this is that in the hands of a um, faithful preacher, not even a particularly competent one, but just simply a faithful one who is committed to expositing the, as clear as possible, what the Bible has written, um, has, has revealed then, then the, by this power of the spirit, this is in fact, what happens is it sinners, the law kills and the gospel gives life is that people are actually discomforted in their persistent sin and unbelief and brought to comfort and, 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 and peace by hearing the, the balm of Gilead presented. And that when that is not simply laid forth in front of people, well, then we have all sorts of uh, speculative flights that, that result in, well, uh, people simply making things up you know, making things up once again. And I think we've seen this in our generation, at least in my experience, right at the end of college began what was we now call the emergent church. Is that now we just called it the mainline church? I mean, I think all of those guys were like, <laughs> I thought, I yeah, I thought the movie was over and it's submerged, but I think, it's I don't think it's, yeah, I think yeah, it just all put on collars. They got, got arm sleeve tattoos <laughs> and put on collars. <laughs> and it was, that was how it worked. But, you know, that was the first one where they began to reference the Bible. I think Brian McLaren and his uh, new, a new, kind of christian you're like you know it's like warning i mean how many how many red flags need to immediately go up so in his new kind of christian book he's he began to reference the bible as a what was it as a as a, a library instead of a constitution or so i forget the exact analogy but, but essentially yeah. saying that it was a collection of of sort of ideas about god that when read together could somehow give you a a general sense of who he was, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't pin any particulars to any of the, the specifics, because that would be in the words of the, 
guy from Relevant Magazine, the recent article of uh, treating the Bible as an idol, you know, being right. uh, biblicist, you know, that was like the epithet thrown around. And certainly amongst, you know, the quote unquote sophisticated intellectuals that I was, uh, this is the quote unquote sophisticated quote unquote intellectuals around whom I was, or the people I was trying to curry favor with for a sad, sad season of my <laughs> life, um, is, um, you know, to be labeled a biblicist was, was basically the worst possible thing you could, you could be labeled because you were, you know, from the mystical side, quenching the power of the spirit in the new thing he was doing or, or it was doing. And on the on the one of the more sort of traditional side, at the very least, it was a um, it was a it unsophisticated slavery to a, you know, neo fundamentalism or something, you know, and it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, know, you get this in, from two directions. You get this I mean, from the exactly quote unquote, quote unquote progressive side. It's well, the the Bible records people's experience of God in their own time and in their own context but we live in a different time in different context so our our experience of god is going to be different and god's leading us on a journey just like he led them on a journey and our journeys won't be the same and so we can we can therefore bless gay sex that's, that's right. basically basically how they're or any or any uh, sex but just have any sex that. right yeah that's oh right. yeah it means yeah it doesn't matter i'm sorry that was that was really philistine of me it's, it's all kinds of sex that that's right um the the but the other side is you know well and then this is my wife Anne was responding to the relevant argue, our, our article you mentioned a minute ago. On the other side, you get people who are, I guess, they would identify as charismatics. Although I don't want to, I don't want to give charismatics a bad name because I'm sure most charismatics would not agree with this. But that you know, the Bible is like a dead letter. It's the right. it's the it's the once spoken word, but now we have the living spirit right. within us who's going to tell us new things in a new way. Uh, and these wouldn't necessarily be quote unquote progressives, but these are certainly uh, people who, who, for whom the Bible is antiquated, dead, yes, um, and, and no longer necessary for the Christian life because you have the spirit yep. and you walk according to the spirit, not according to the letter. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, that goes back to, again, just as we're talking, just reminded about nothing new under the sun. I mean, you think of, again, the book we, we reference all the time, Jay Gerson Machen's Christianity and Liberalism. You know, he's fighting against the quote unquote neo-orthodoxy, which, um, which uh, was posited this very thing, that there was the word of God, you know, which was the logos that was contained within the Bible, but we couldn't confuse the two because that would be to, you know, elevate a written text, um, you know, to sort of the divine. And so you begin to see the seeds in the sort of intellectual world that have now just hit the mainstream. I mean, this is, this is where I think we can, we can see like our generation looking back, we will see that the, the, the seeds, uh, intellectual seeds that were sown in, you know, um, well, probably then smoke-filled classrooms, you know, back in the thirties, forties, and fifties, <laughs> um, all around the world that were the, the, the first or second generation of liberal Protestantism, um, you know, post-enlightenment liberal Protestantism after higher criticism, after the Bible been deconstructed, after, you know, X, Y, Z had come into the, into the fore, had come to the fore. Well, then it has now made its way, as we've said before, to, you know, the, the Bible church around the corner, to Lifeway Christian Bookstore, to, you know, mega church, box church or whatever. And it's being passed off as, again, as it always is, the, the latest, greatest, hippest, most sophisticated thing. 
And it's, um, it's just a, a, a new warmed over iteration of what has always been the primal and fundamental problem with a Bible, if not the Bible, is simply that God has said. I mean, that's the fun. I mean, Luther nailed this. I wrote a paper once um, called Hearing the Voice of God, uh, no, Reading the Voice of God. And it was, it was an exploration in the beginning of my research on um on how the Bible functioned with respect to uh, law and gospel. And one of Luther's insights, at the very least, uh, was that that just the simple fact of claiming the the Holy Bible, the Word of God, is for sinners an offense. That, that very fact, it's just to say, you know, you may think you try to dismiss it because of a translation, or you try to find another, you know, example of it, you try, but when the actual just clear command of God is written and expounded upon, well, then it sends us running, you know, thou shalt have no other gods but me. I mean, you can put that in whatever, whatever translation you want, you know, the new living, the the massage, whatever it is, but fundamentally, <laughs> it says, there is a God, you're not him, and you're not supposed to have any other ones, um, repent and believe. And that's fundamentally the problem with the Bible for sinners, which is why until you are killed and made alive by faith, the Bible continues to be a, which is say an impediment <laughs> to, to, to uh, life, your best life now, but that's by design. That's by design. So let's talk a little bit, uh, Matt, you know, as you've seen, I think this juxtaposition or this between either the Bible being sort of an evangelistic tool for people to come to know Jesus or a, um, we should say a prescriptive um, sort of guide. Um, I think that these are often unfairly pitted against each other, um, unnecessarily so, although you may understand why, or you can give us some insight into why people have sometimes pitted these against each other. But in your experience, have you seen that sort of the two ways of describing it? And, and what, are you, what are your reflections on that? Well, I do, I do think there's people can use them in both ways in an extreme way that cuts out the other. So, so I think we've, we talked about this before in, in the evangelical world, the gospel or the, the Bible is too often portrayed as merely a guide to life. You know, so, so here, you know, if you, if you study the Bible enough, you can figure out how Jesus would have you play golf and <laughs> you know, how, what's, what's the, <laughs> what's the, uh, yeah. What are the, what are the 12, tips we can learn from jesus about playing golf and you'll have a sermon on that and you go away and that's and that's that or you know just anything like anxiety yeah, sure. dealing with anxiety uh dealing with uh marriage yeah, basic instructions before leaving earth you know that's right the old, right, uh, right bible <laughs> that's right right and, that, and, that, and so and so in that sense the scriptures are misused because you're because yes of course there's a law there and and there are three uses of the law one is to drive you to christ and one and a, but, but another one is to help you know how to live this life in the good way but if you but if you just preach that and you and you don't also say yeah but see you're not going to do that <laughs> So right. you're gonna you're gonna go away from here and you're you're gonna you're gonna duff your golf swing it's not, it's not gonna, <laughs> or whatever it is you're you're not gonna follow the law uh of course the golf thing isn't the law but but you presuming gotcha. that you hear the actual law of god the preacher needs to say here's what you need to do i know you're not going to do this you might increase in in sanctification somewhat because you have the holy spirit but you're going to fall and so just know that the cross is for you always um, and everywhere. And, and so uh, repentantly the gospel always. Um, so both those things, have to be, those things have to be paired. I, I don't think, I, I think you're right about, right to say that there's a, there's a false dichotomy between 
um, using the Bible primarily for evangelical evangelistic purposes and using it for uh, you know, the way of life purposes. Yes. Um, I, I think there, it's both and, and I'd even be a little careful about saying, you know, evangelistic purposes. I mean, there's, there's, there is a kind of preaching and I, I hear it more in Lutheran circles, which almost suggests that the Bible shouldn't be used to help people understand the wise and good way of living but only, only and always to drive directly to the, the place where the sinner hears that God, that Christ has, has died for him. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that's also a bit of an error. It goes, it goes further too far, further even than, than I think the scriptures would have you go. Well, it's um, interesting you say that because I, I, would, I would agree with you in theory, um, <laughs> but I would push back a little bit like Anne did um, in her article, if you haven't listened to her article, dear listener, or read it, you should, uh, but about, <laughs> you know, it's almost like the famous quip, gosh, it's famous, so famous, I can't remember who said it, uh, you know, that uh, Christianity hasn't been tried and failed, it hasn't been tried, did, did, did Chesterton say that, did he, um, at any rate, so. it's like, I say yes. <laughs> would that we had so many, the, if the problem of our churches was that the cross and the terror of the law was so clearly articulated that people were, all that they were hearing was um, their need to be uh, atoned for by, by the blood of Christ, you know, I think that would be a wonderful uh, slight course correction to take, you know, in my opinion. Now, I agree with you, if that's all, if, if that's the sum total of the teaching every single week, then, you know, perhaps you're, you're, you're not fully availing yourself of, of the, 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 the gift that are the scriptures for the church. But I think that like with many reactions to both Calvinists and Lutheran, back to our um, conversation last week, uh, that many of them are, are more theoretical in the heads of the supposed opponents than in practice. Because if you actually have someone who has been brought low by the law and is um, painfully aware of their own complicity in sin, like the uh, publican, you know, Jesus have mercy on me, you know, forgive me, and who went home justified to Jesus. You know, you have that person who simultaneously is, um, you know, painfully aware of their sin, but also gloriously aware of their savior. Well, then you're going to have a hard time in my experience with the actual people who are preaching, um, coming away from that, even if it technically is not as theologically sophisticated in certain parts as I would want or, or would aspire to be, you're going to come away with, with what the Bible has intended to, to communicate, which is Jesus's death for sinners, because that it's that presumes two things that sin is real. And if you're a miserable offender, as, as we have used to confess, um, you know, that, that the, the burden of them is intolerable, you know, the, this sort of, then you're not going to minimize that at all in your preaching, which I know you don't, but at the same time, if you're in church and you're talking about the miserableness of sin, well, then you've come to the right place because we also have a great savior for you. So, but I, but I, I do agree with you in theory that if there was a, it, where this ideological, for lack of a better word, or at least um, this forced uh, juxtaposition of an either or with respect to the way the scriptures are used, I think you, you run into people who are then actually in, in the attempt of, of using the Bible correctly, actually just subjugating it to an, to an idea as opposed to, to um, just letting it, letting it loose. You know, it's like Fitz right, Alice. Yeah, because yeah, there, there are lots of therefore. I mean, you know, every every letter from um, just just about every letter that Paul writes has a therefore after the right. after the gospel. <clears throat> therefore, here right. here now is how how you live. 
Um, in view of God's mercies. That's right. In Romans view 12. of God's That's mercy, right? right? It's, it's never, therefore, here's how you live in order to That's right. be acceptable to God. But because right. you have been accepted by God through Jesus Christ, and now you have peace with him, here's how you should conduct your life. Now, again, of course, you, you did that. So I, that doesn't, you're never going to conduct your life in the way that Paul says in, in a perfect way. You're, you're just not going to. And yet, I don't think it's, I don't think we have the right as, as preachers to discard the therefore and just stick with the first. So we, so we want to say, therefore, here's how you ought to do it. Here's how you ought to, you know, maybe not cheat on your wife. And maybe. <laughs> well, here's a, here's, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I'd be interested because yeah. you, you and I come from somewhat different, at least backgrounds in this, although a lot of overlap in my experience of um, so, so he, here's here's the the problem that I see in, uh, manifesting on both sides of that coin, both by the person worried about it and the person preaching. The that there is a a mis I want to say misunderstanding. There is a lack of appreciation for what Paul says in Romans um, eleven that God is not mocked, right? In, the, in my opinion, because in the preacher that wants to say, well, the therefore is therefore. But, you know, therefore, don't worry about it because all is forgiven and all is well. It's like that's that's true in a very eschatological final sense. You know, we, we do affirm that. But in the present tense, um, you are still mired in your trespasses and sins. And so the preacher in this in the idea that somehow bringing comfort is actually preaching, as, Jesus, as the Old Testament says, well, Jesus through the Old Testament, uh, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And so there's a there's this idea that the law somehow can simply be um, spoken over as opposed to actually atoned for. And so that's the error of the quote unquote liberal or progressive or the, the libertine preacher. But see, on the flip side, and I'm not saying you're falling prey to this, but in my conversations with people, there's also an idea or there's a lack of appreciation that no matter what that person is ostensibly saying, they're not actually getting away with anything. And so from a pastoral perspective, you know, someone comes to me and they says, isn't it great that I'm forgiven anything that I, you know, am, am doing uh, will have no effect on my eternal salvation. And so you can say, well, you know, in a very theoretical sense, that's true, that all is all, you know, can be forgiven by the blood of Christ. There's no far, you know, all the prodigal son can run as far as he wants, you know, yes and amen. But from an actual pastoral perspective, what I'm hearing is your life is still in the in in the middle of Romans seven in possibly a darker way than even you're aware of. And I'm going to approach that um, from a theological conviction, which says that no matter what you're professing with your mouth, that God is not mocked and his law cannot be ignored. It has to be mm -hmm. atoned for. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that's where that's where I don't get so nervous about the supposed idea of this libertine running around abusing the grace of God, because the, the God is not, is, does not allow this to happen. Like this was, there's, there's an article, there's a fight always about this guy named Gerhard Ferdy about whom I've written a bunch and, and I have deep affection for, although some, some, some substantive criticisms of also who's long dead, but he, um, his one fundamental insight that I picked up on, which is, um, which is, ironic because he's often accused of, of uh, allowing for antinomianism. Uh, but his one insight is just what I've been articulating or trying to is that is that no matter what we say, 
you know, no matter what our theological constructs are, no matter what we even sing or profess, that fundamentally the only answer for sin is absolution. That's it. There's no, there's no self-absolving, there's no word game, you know, there's no theology. He was often accused of discounting what was called penal substitution. And, you know, his point, which was, I wish he had lived long enough to help clarify, but at the very least, his point was that your our theology of the cross is not going to save us from the reality of the cross. That, that was what his point was. And so we can have all, you know, the explanation in the world about sin and its, and its, um, its effects on our lives and the need for the cross, and it can all be very true, but no matter how true it, it is in our heads, we're actually going to be carrying that to Golgotha with Jesus. Like that's what's going to happen. And so again, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't, I mean, you and I are both theologians. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't, uh, seek to be as as um, biblically sound and as exegetically um, uh, precise as possible. But even if we have it all right, we're still going to be, you know, like Peter and John, I mean, James and John uh, with Jesus baptized with the baptism with which he is baptized, you know, like, yes, you will drink this cup, it says Jesus to us. And so, again, that, that doesn't discount your concerns at all. And I'm very sympathetic to um, I'm sympathetic to the people who are complaining about the supposed antinomian bent in some of the sermons that is seeming to whitewash all the sins, not for from a theological perspective, but from a pastoral perspective, because I see people that essentially fall into a sense of Christian nihilism, where they basically say, well, it is what it is. And I want to say, well... It is what it is, but it's not what it has to be, because despite the fact that we won't be fully redeemed this side of heaven, there are still glimpses of the kingdom breaking forth through healing, redemption, and hope. And that's what I'm fighting for, not just it is what it is, uh, because otherwise Romans 7 becomes a just a council of despair. Like, well, what am I supposed to do? I never understand what I'm supposed to do, and I, who can understand my actions? And well, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. It's like, well, there's much more to it than that. Okay, so I I think my objection to um, only only gospel and not ever saying okay, well the Bible also gives you good instruction. Sure, is not that I think that the person would become antinomian. I, I don't think that because I think you're right. I think what the gospel does, if you're preaching the gospel anytime, drives you to the point where you surrender yourself, you bind yourself to Christ. You, you, the union you have with Christ is strengthened, and by that union, um, of course, there's going to become there's this transformation of life is a necessary necessary outflow. So, of course, that's going to happen. I, I don't. I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about people thinking, unless they're not Christians at all. I'm not worried about people <laughs> thinking. You know. <laughs> Uh, wow, I've heard about this cross thing. So now let me go and hire some prostitutes. I just, I, just, I mean, that, that's not a Christian, right? A Christian who knows Jesus isn't going to be thinking that, that way um, because you've been sa- saved and rescued from, from hell. So uh, I, I, that's not my concern. My, my concern is only just I, wanted, I want the preaching of the church to, to be to mirror scripture. And, and that, that's why I brought that there for because, because the scripture has both. And so the preaching of the church should have both. We should have both gospel and instruction and but not i don't think we should ever separate those right um so i would i don't i wouldn't want to ever preach a, a sermon that was pure instruction because i like i said last time a rabbi could do that um i would want to have a, a sermon that had instruction and the gospel the gospel and instruction you right know, you don't, but but i think the bible does have that model and so and so yes god can god can and does 
you know, uh, justify and sanctify through just the, the straight proclamation of the gospel every Sunday. But we as preachers of the word are, are obligated, I think, to uh, to preach the whole counsel of God. And, and yeah. so we have we have that that responsibility. That's my thing. I, that's, yeah, no. that's my well, I agree. With, I agree with you. I think it'd be interested to know there's been a distinction um, sometimes utilized, uh, you may think for better or worse between teaching and preaching, um, mm-hmm. that there's a sort of a kerygma, you know, to, to pick up from the 19th century <laughs> German liberals. Uh, I mean, that's, that's not a, just a liberal. Anyway, the point is, you know, there's the proclamation, um, and then in certain formulations, there's a place for, for, you know, the paranesis, the teaching, the instruction. Do you, do you see, and now I know you have like hour and a half sermons, so you're a little bit different. You have like time for lunch between your, it's not time for sleeping yet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> do you, just, do you find that a helpful distinction? I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I'm yeah, not I wedded do. to I mean, it myself, I, but I mean, do you yeah, talk I do. You about can that? Go to my, you can go to my, my church uh, Facebook page and you can see me preach and you can watch me uh, teach a Bible study. You'll see a big difference. And uh, um, so my, my teaching, when I teach a Bible study, I, I am primarily interested in helping people understand the text. And so it'll be more like a lecture. I'll, I'll try to always you know, drive people to the cross at, uh, during and through the, the class, but, um, but it's a class, you know, so it's a, it's, it's, it's a different context. And there is a, there's a teaching, a teaching aspect that takes the, takes the forefront. Uh, preaching, um, I do think it's an expo- expo- exposition. I think it should be an exposition of a text to where you're how you are doing that. You're helping people understand what the text means. But I also think the primary purpose for that is not just to gain glean information, but also to 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 draw people to Jesus. Amen. Um, so so you're you're and, and that's possible in every single text. There's I mean I've never I've been preaching for twenty years. I've never preached it, and I've preached the whole books. I've never preached a text where you can't possibly bring people to, to Jesus right. and, and, and hear uh, and have them <clears throat> go away uh, knowing themselves to be loved by him and forgiven by him and also loving him more. Mm. Um, and I, so you, who is it? Uh, Martin Jones said preaching is logic on fire. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's a good way of describing that's, I guess that's a way of describing the difference. I'm not sure the teaching necessarily is on fire. It can be, I guess, but preaching should always be logic on fire. Always be, Amen. and then fire is the gospel. Yes, um, that you're, you're, you're. That's the heart of it. That's the beating heart of it. You always want in the preaching task right. to get people, um, get people there to Jesus and to the gospel. Yeah, um, uh, Luther had this mixed uh, Latin German phrase "vas custom tribit," uh, which was to variously translated, I think, most appropriately, to drive Christ home. Mm-hmm. It was the yeah. point um, that that was the, the the work of the preacher. You know, I, I uh, again, we could talk. We probably should have a whole talk <laughs> about homiletic um, techniques or styles or, or convictions. But you know, I think that there's that you can always tell what a preacher um, or, or a theologian. Um, you can always identify what they think the problem is by what the solution they're giving. It, you know what I mean? This is the, this is the, so if you think, if you're a preacher who thinks the worst thing that's happening in your congregation is that they're doing bad things, well, then your sermons are just going to be about behavior modification. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a preacher who thinks, um, you know, they're not voting the right way or living the right way or doing then then that's going to be the sole purpose. But as far as I can tell, and we've been teaching through Romans, um, you know, just getting through to uh, Romans four, 
particularly talking about Abraham, the, the fundamental problem the Bible has with, with people going back to the first commandment is that there's, there's a decided lack of sinful or there's a decided pr- presence of sinful unbelief and an idolatrous rebellion as a result of that, because we, we don't stop believing or worshiping. We just believe and worship the wrong thing. And so when I look at the Bible, the way that it's structured, you know, sort of in its in all of its various genres, history and, and poetry and, and allegory and, and gospels and all of it, is that there's it seems to be a constant refrain along those lines that the number one problem people have is that they don't believe that they have mm-hmm. the ye of little faith, you know, and that once so once we can pinpoint that is the problem in the in the unbelieving heart, well then the Bible is opened up fairly, in my opinion, fairly easily, if not, I mean it takes some work because at every instance we see what happens when you know the truth is exchanged for a lie like romans one and so the sur- the sermon then becomes and the teaching for that matter um exposing once again where the truth has been exchanged for a lie in the life of a believer or community or of nation or of whatever um and then addressing that with with the 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 means of grace which is to bring people to new life and faith rightly understood once again and so you know you go back you could start looking at that that pattern all the way back to to Abraham, you know, I mean, you know, as, as even though he was a, f- a fallen, uh, you know, sort of had a sinful man, what does Paul say? No unbelief made him waver, you know, in the midst of his conviction walking through and on down the line, we see Hebrews 11, you know, in the great pantheon of faith, we see Jesus talking about faith. And then you begin to understand why in, in the the um, other side of Reformation Sunday, this 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 battle cry of the Reformation about justification by faith became much more than just a dogmatic uh, assertion, but it became the the very lifeblood of what they now understood to be the Christian life was a reordering of unbelief towards God rightly understood who could be trusted and had revealed himself authoritatively through his word. And so there, you know, there we have, I guess, in a nutshell, in my opinion, how the Bible is to be understood in the life of the church is that it's it is what is it they there's a there's a latin phrase norman nons norm normat i forget it's it's a bunch of of norms in a row but it's the, the norm it's the, norm, the norm, norm they cannot the norms. be norm that's right. Normans, the, right that's it that's right the norm they cannot and that's that remains to this day um and to the extent that churches ignore that it's a little bit like the poor preacher who thinks he can just he can explain the law away like well um good luck uh you know worshiping a god of your own devising but um, you know, Christian people will be uh, will be comforted by continuing to return to the scriptures for the self revelation of God for their sake, not for their further condemnation, as Jesus says in John seventeen. But for the world's already condemned. But here's a book that has told you, um, you know, like Jesus Himself, everything about you that you ever need. You know, as Philip said, and so we rightly revere and reverence it, not as a not as an idol, but as a gift from God, as the self revelation for what He's done to save in His Son, and so. You know, I think we're going to continue to see, you know, frankly, people be embarrassed of the Bible because it contradicts their understanding of God. <laughs> but, but, you know, it will continue to, um, you know, God will not be mocked and his law will continue to bring condemnation on unrighteousness and, un- and sin. Uh, and yet for those who have been rightly caught in the act and seen in Jesus, their savior, it will continue to be the, the, the font of, um, of all joy, a peace of, of his mercy for, for his lost and benighted people. And that's, I think that's, um, 
you know, that's, that's something we can stand upon and, and, and rest in as we go forward. Well, I'll stop. I can start preaching with the best of them, uh, Matt, but I want to give you the last word as you have been observing the uh, cultural, theological, ecclesial landscape. Uh, what are some of your concerns? Uh, what do you think some opportunities are? And um, yeah, as we, as we look ahead towards this question of the Bible with its relation to the church. Sure. I mean, I think speaking specifically of the ACNA, there are two problems I see, two huge problems I see threats um the first and we've talked about this over and over again so i don't need to explain it too much but um the first is this um ideology that's cloaking itself in gospel language of liberation of uh of equality of justice when in fact it's just using and i'm we can call it critical theories. We can call it wokeness, whatever it might be. When in fact, it's it's using biblical language and even biblical paradigms to mask uh, an utterly uh, unbiblical idea that behind every structure, behind every system, behind every idea, behind every relationship is really a power dynamic that needs to be equalized. Um, and and if you if you get into the habit of seeing through everything, including the scriptures, and for example, the the, the biblical revelations regarding the way a husband and wife relate or the way uh, who should be a pastor of a church if you if you decide that all of that's really something to see through um and and to liberate the people that the bible says you know maybe not shouldn't be preachers <laughs> so they can preach you are already in the way you've, you've already you've already cast aside um biblical revelation in favor of a cultural ideology um and you've lost the gospel you've you've you've, you've, you've departed from the faith so you need to repent and i think that's, that's a huge and a growing problem in the acna and I, I say i think that one maybe two dioceses have already succumbed to it and if we're not careful it's going to spread because that's what heresy does it just spreads and um and and we're right back in the same place as we were with the episcopal church speaking of the episcopal church this also plays into the sexuality question because there are already places in the acna where uh, applying uh, uh, pronouns to people who are who identify as something other than their biological sex, applying pronouns as they would wish rather than as they are, only uh, well that's 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 something that's becoming normative. And especially the two dioceses I just <laughs> referenced, I mean that's considered uh, what is it called pronoun hospitality. It's not pronoun hospitality. It's a lie. You're you're helping. You're, you're contributing to people who are. Uh, who are blaspheming God's created order in re with regard to their refusal to receive what God has given them in their bodies, and also who are under the sway of a delusional lie that is um, ultimately undoes undoes the picture of the gospel itself, which God intended to paint when He made us male and female. Um, mm. And and so and so it's a the, this the, the transgender issue is blasphemy against the created order and against the gospel itself. Um, and, and so any Christian who decides he's going to use or she's going to use uh, uh, pronouns inconsistent with a biological sex of a person is contributing to that hellish lie. And, and that's, uh, so I think uh, that is a utter departure from the scriptures. You can't, you can't come, you cannot find anything in the scriptures that would give you any license to do that. And yet it's being propounded as some kind of way of loving your neighbor. And when in fact it's hating your neighbor. Mm. So, so I think the whole, I think those two areas, I think we're in dire desperate uh, shape. And um, I, I hope and pray 
that the bishops of the ACNA will take action on those two things and 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 uh, smash the heresy and uh, hope that heretics will recant and repent. And I pray for their souls, but otherwise, but right now it's they're in some serious shape, serious Indeed. serious danger. So. Well, I certainly share those concerns with you and also pray and, and trust. And we have good reason to believe in, in, in the Lord's timing that our bishops um, and our church has, that has proven to be decisive uh, on, on issues leading up to now um, will, will continue to be so. Uh, because the, the hope is that in our Anglican way of, of authority, as we've talked about before, scripture, tradition, and reason, that we can take comfort in 2,000 plus years of, of exegesis and rumination and consideration of these texts of what it means to be a human, of what it means to, um, to, to bring our reason to bear in light of changing technological and cultural mores and nevertheless stand firm, uh, which is what we have done, we are doing, and by God's grace, we will do. And so... Well, we'll continue to um, to talk about this. The person, the, the place and prominence of the Bible um, uh, shouldn't be in question with respect to a, a church, but nevertheless, uh, that's where we are. And so, um, well, Matt, we'll continue to, uh, what do we say to that? Amen and amen. How about that? <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Stand Firm podcast. If you want to keep the conversation going, please be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. 